I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. There are Bibles available in the, the pew if you didn't bring one. It's page 591 in the pew Bible. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 32 to 38. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does keep covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before thee, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all thy people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, thou art just in all that has come upon us, For thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept thy law or paid attention to thy commandments and thy admonitions with which thou hast admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with thy great goodness which thou didst give them, with the broad and rich land which thou didst set before them, did not serve thee or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today, and as to the land which thou didst give to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves on it, and its abundant produce is for the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please, so we are in great distress. Now, because of all this, We are making an agreement in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Verse 38 describes briefly a a covenant reaffirmation service. The people of God are gathered in Jerusalem. They have been decades in exile in Babylon and Persia, and now... Ezra comes to the end of his long prayer and says, Now, because of all this, we are making an agreement or we are cutting a covenant in writing. And on this seal document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Now, I chose to focus on this verse because, number one, it happens, this covenant reaffirmation happens in the midst of a worship setting. They've been worshiping the Lord for 24 days in Jerusalem. I want us to understand our own covenanting together and our reaffirmation of the covenant this morning in the context of a focus on the Lord and our worship of Him. The second reason I chose it is because it involves, as you notice, a sealing of the covenant in writing which is what the elders have felt it would be good for us to do as a church and which we will do together here in a few minutes. And the third reason I chose it is because it comes at the end of this great prayer and the focus of this prayer is on the magnificent, sovereign, covenant-keeping grace of God over against the backdrop of Israel's disobedience and rebellion. And so for those three reasons, it seemed like a great place to meditate for a few minutes as we move into our 
covenant reaffirming this morning. So let me try to set the setting here for you so that you can see why this is so powerful, a, a place to reaffirm our own covenant. It's 445 years before Jesus. And Nehemiah has brought back from Persia the third major contingent of Israelite people, and their job has been to rebuild the walls of the city against tremendous opposition. And they have worked on it, and they finished it at the end of chapter 6. And then chapter 7 gives a genealogy of those who came back with Zerubbabel in the first wave of uh, exiles returning. And then chapter 8 says that on the first day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri, which roughly corresponds to our September, the people ask Ezra, who's the priest, who brought back one of those first contingents, read us the Mosaic Law. We have not heard it for a long time. And so he took his position on a big, wooden, erected pulpit, and he read for half a day. And when the people heard the Mosaic Law read, they were broken. They heard so many things that were God's will that they had not attended to. One of them was the Feast of Booths. And so for seven days, they built booths and celebrated the Feast of Booths, which was to celebrate the coming out of Egypt when God so powerfully delivered them. And they didn't have any houses to live in, so they celebrated that time of houselessness with these booths year in and year out, except they hadn't done it for a long time. And so they did it. And then some time elapsed. And then they called for a day of fasting and prayer in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. And as they come to verse 5, the Levites, and I invite you to turn back there because we're going to walk through this prayer. In chapter 9, verse 5, the Levites lift their voices to God, to the people, and they say, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and all praise. Which means that no matter how well Ezra responds now to this call to praise and exaltation, and no matter how well we respond, no matter how well the choir sings and our hearts are lifted or the brass plays or I preach or you sing or anything, it will never be high enough. You see that? He is exalted above our blessing and above our praise, which I think is why it will take a whole eternity for us to do what ought to be done for God in receiving praise and glory. It will never be ended because He will always be above it and beyond it. There will always be something more in God to praise. Always something more in God to discover. Always something more in His greatness and might and power and beauty and justice and goodness and love and truth that we didn't arrive at yet. And we won't for all eternity, we will be discovering more and more and more of God because he will always be above our praises, no matter how much of him we discover, which means it will never be boring in heaven. It will never be old hat 
in heaven. A new dimension of glory will be discovered every day in heaven. It will transform everything we've ever seen. And God will be new every morning for all eternity. And the thought that you had when you were a little girl or a little boy that it's going to be boring is wrong. Unless you weren't like me. Sometimes you grow up into glory and your imagination takes off with sentences like this and you begin to grasp a little fraction of what it means that God is great. God is great. Well, Ezra does his best here. They call him to praise and bless along with all the people and he does his best. And I don't think you could do any better in this world than Ezra has done here. And so what I want to do with you is walk through Ezra's prayer from verses 6 down to the place where he gets to the covenant reaffirmation. And we will join him then in that. He begins where we and our created life begins at creation. Verse 6, God, you made the heavens, you made the earth and everything in them. Verses 7 and 8, then you chose Abraham for yourself and you made a covenant with him. To give him and his descendants the land after him. And then verse 9 and 10. Down in Egypt our fathers cried and you heard their cry. And you delivered them with signs and wonders and made a name for yourself. Such a name at the Exodus that centuries later. Here it is. What? Eight centuries or so later. And your name is still great because of that great deliverance at the Red Sea. And then verse 12. You guided them in pillars of fire and cloud. And verse 13, you gave them at Sinai good statutes and good commandments. And then verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven and you gave them water from the rock. And then you told them, take the land. And they took it by your power. And then verse 16, the response of the people in all of this, the people acted arrogantly. They became stubborn. They refused to listen and they tried to go back to Egypt. But then, what does God do? What is he like in this kind of situation? Verse 17, you are a God of forgiveness, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and you did not Forsake them. Verse 18 and 19. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. Now, let's just pause here in our walk through the prayer and make sure we, we're not missing the point. This is the point of this prayer. This is the kind of God he is. Grace upon grace, goodness upon goodness, blessing upon blessing. The response, arrogance, disobedience, rebellion, idolatry and blasphemy. And God, slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love, keeping covenant, good, merciful, compassionate. 
When we come to make covenant this morning with each other and with God, we don't come like this. We don't say, well, here we go. Let's make the best of it. Screw up our courage. Get our willpower up. (sighs) It's not the way we come. We come because there's a God like this in heaven. And he has come down and he has offered to make covenant with us. And the only hope we have of fulfilling the promises that we're going to make is that this is the kind of God we have. That when we stumble and when we fall and we break covenant, God will come after us. And he will be compassionate and he will be slow to anger. And when we turn and say we're sorry, he will forgive. The frown will be removed The smile will return and grace upon grace will abound to us. And if that is not the kind of God that we have, there will be no success and no point in moving ahead with any covenanting with each other or with him. But he is that way. And that's the point of this prayer. This prayer is moving to verse 38, where Ezra says, because of all this and the this is this, this is this, this is it. He's gracious. Let's keep going and you'll see it as the interplay between him and his people becomes even more painful. Not only did he not forsake them, but he pursued them with goodness and mercy again and again. Verses 20 sort of piles blessing upon blessing here. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You gave manna and you gave water. For 40 years their clothes didn't wear out on their back. They overcame kingdoms, they entered a land, they possessed cities that they hadn't built, fertile lands that they hadn't tilled, houses, cisterns, vineyard, olive groves, fruit trees. Look at the end of verse 25 where it sums it up. And they reveled in your great goodness. They bathed and they flopped around in the waiting pool of God's goodness as their little children. It was an ocean of goodness being poured out upon Israel. And the people responded, verse 26, they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed the prophets and committed great blasphemies. God's response, verse 27, therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors, especially during the seasons of the judges. But... When they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. Their response, verse 29, they turned a stubborn shoulder. They stiffened their neck and would not listen. God's response, verse 30. You bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Their response? They would not give ear. God's response? The Lord gives them into exile. The end of verse 30. But. B. Raymond Edmund wrote a book one time called But God. 
all the times in the Bible where the dead-end street of sin was hit. And the next line begins, but God. Verse 31, but in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now that brings Ezra to the point of petition. He hasn't asked for anything yet in, what, 20-some verses, 25 or 26 verses. Everything is just the celebration of God against the backdrop of the failure of Israel. But now he comes to ask of God. And he asks that God would look with favor upon his people surrounded by their enemies. And he begins his petition in verse 32 with this word, now, now, therefore. Now what? Now that what has been seen? Now that this is the kind of God you are, now that we have seen this, and it goes like this. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does keep covenant and loving kindness. That's the now. Now that we have seen greatness, mightiness, awesomeness, covenant keeping, loving kindness, now we ask. Because if that weren't true, we couldn't make a covenant. We couldn't ask for your help. There would be no enabling for a people like us. But that's the way he is. And that's the point of the prayer, and that's the point of the preparation. And now we come to the covenant, verse 38, the climax. Now, because of all this, because of all what? Because of all this centuries-long, great, mighty, awesome, covenant-keeping, loving work of God. Because of all that, we make an agreement. And we write it and we put our seal to it. So now we come this morning to covenant with one another. To reaffirm and renew the covenant that we made that that constitutes this body as a church. And we don't come in our own strength. We don't come in our own sufficiency. We don't even come by saying, well... Covenant community is a beautiful thing, and uh, it's beautiful enough that we should really try and work hard to make it happen. Rather, the spirit in which we come is the spirit of Ezra. God is great. God is mighty. God is awesome. God keeps covenant. God has loving kindness. And because God is that way, there's hope for people like us. That when we lift our voice in a moment and covenant with one another, there's hope that he would come to us. And when we fail, restore us. That he would give us strength to fulfill our commitments to one another. We do not gather here in our own strength. What we're doing now is declaring that we want to be a church for each other. We want to be a church for the wider Christian community. We want to be a church for the world and for Minneapolis and St. Paul. We want to be a church for the glory of God. And we are not claiming to be the only church or a perfect church or an unchangeable church. 
We just are claiming to be a church. As best we understand church in the New Testament. Now, I know that in this room there are dozens and dozens, perhaps a couple hundred non-members. And you are welcome to be here. So welcome that we're going to move in two stages in our covenanting and our affirmation. The first stage will be to have the members of this church stand and affirm our covenant together. The second stage will be to have everyone stand and to recite from page 14 in our hymnal the Apostles' Creed to affirm our participation in the wider Christian community where we know that there is a holy Catholic church, as it's called in this affirmation of faith. Before we do this, I want to pray. And before I pray, I would like to ask all the members of Bethlehem Baptist Church to please stand. Would you stand? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we, the members of this church, stand before you in the spirit of Ezra. We acknowledge that without you, we would have no hope whatsoever because you would have given up on us long ago were you not a great, a mighty, an awesome, a covenant-keeping, and a loving God. That's the frame of mind that we stand before you, Father. We lift our hearts to you and say you are our God and we love you, we need you, we depend upon you. We confess our sins before you and acknowledge that we are an unworthy people and that apart from your sovereign grace there would be no church here. O Lord God, we humble ourselves and ask that you would come and make our covenanting now real. Make it true. Grant that every word we speak, O God, would be spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit and grant that this church would never be the same again. We have longed, Father, for months that you would reveal to us more and more what it means to be the church for one another and for the world and for your glory. And now we long to make a significant step of growth to place a milestone here and never turn behind it. Would you come? Would you sanctify this moment? And would you accept our fresh consecration of ourselves to you? In Jesus' name, amen. And I invite all the members to turn to the back of the worship folder. Or, if you want to read from the copy of the church covenant that any of you have, Shall we read together, beginning with paragraph one? Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, 
most solemnly and joyfully affirm this covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to seek God's help in abstaining from all drugs, food, drink, and practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own or another's faith. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will, if possible, unite with a church where we can carry out the articles of this confession and the spirit of this covenant. Amen. And now I invite everybody in the sanctuary to stand and to turn with me to page 14 in the hymnal. This great affirmation has that phrase in it, the Holy Catholic Church, the, that is the Holy Universal Body of Christ, far beyond and greater than Bethlehem's family, which covers all the countries and all the centuries, past and future. Let's affirm with them our great central affirmations. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he will come to judge the wick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now with extra copies of the church covenant. And as they walk back, if you're a member and you neglected to bring yours, just extend your hand toward them as they pass the pew, and they'll see you and give you one of these. We'll take a minute or two here to pray silently and as members 
this may be the time when you would want to set your seal to the covenant and then we'll pass them to the aisle in just a moment. Let's pray together. I have my copy here in front of you. I signed one in the first service and I want to sign another one here in your presence uh, and say very openly and candidly that uh, along with you as a member of this church, I want to be accountable to live this way. This is a very high calling. I want to make myself mutually submissive to the body here so that if you ever find me walking out of step with this spirit or any of the specifics of this covenant, you as members and not just as elders would have the freedom as a brother or sister in Christ to approach me and call me to account and pray with me about this. In fact, um, I got one that didn't have any creases in it so that I could frame it and put it in my office with my signature on it and remind myself again and again that I'm part of a covenant community here and read it more frequently than once a quarter or so as we welcome new members. So before you with my little big pen, I want to set my seal to the covenant and take my stand with you in this great bonding. And I want to invite the ushers to come to the front as you pass yours to the aisles and we'll collect them and take them up. And uh, while they're doing that, would you turn to hymn number 700, which will be the affirmation that we make in song together. Lord Jesus, we lift this cup in your presence and say, you are great, you are mighty, you are awesome, you are a covenant keeper, you are loving, you are everything we need, you are the food for our soul's hunger and the drink for our soul's thirst. It is great to feast with you. It is greater to feast on you. It is the greatest thing to be together in a common feast on the grace and the glory of yourself. Oh, strengthen our faith. Strengthen our love for one another and for you and for a lost world. May from this Sunday forward we be a new, fresh, strong, loving caring, courageous, risk-taking, God-exalting people as we drink together.